Welcome to series two of Crime Tapes. Now, throughout this series, we're, we're still in a situation where we're dealing with um, the pandemic. And, and as a result of that, we're having to record these podcasts in a, a slightly different way, including um, from home. So the sound quality might not be that that we had in series one. Please do bear with us a little bit on the quality of sound, which throughout the series of episodes you might find is impacted by the circumstances that we're dealing with. Hi, you're listening to Crime Tapes. This is a podcast made by Staffordshire University, hosted by the School of Law, Policing and Forensics. And this season in particular, we're focusing on issues of, of policing. More specifically, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the policing of firearms. And I'm joined by Dr. Rachel Bolton-King, who's here to talk to me about firearms in the UK just more broadly. Now, Rachel is is fascinating um, and has all sorts of connections with, with firearms through her work as a forensic scientist. But firearms crime is an area that lots of people encounter in the media and, and sort of portrayed very, very often, but it's actually quite rare. It's an area where there are a lot of myths, a, a lot of um, disinformation, a, a lot of things that we people simply don't necessarily know. And so what we're hoping to do through this is to talk not only about Rachel's expertise as a forensic scientist and how that informs what she does here at, at Staffordshire University, but also more generally about firearms, guns, crime scenes, and how we might encounter those specifically in policing the United Kingdom. Rachel, thank you for joining me. Great to be here, James. Thanks for inviting me. No, it's it's an absolute pleasure and a topic I know straight away that people are going to find really, really interesting. I mean, we're surrounded by, we see firearms, don't we, you know, in in, in high level crime drama. I, 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 you know, I'm loath to mention programmes on the BBC that are really popular, like Line of Duty. But, you know, the OCG is drilling firearms. There's guns everywhere. I think one episode of Line of Duty saw five people murdered with firearms in it. You know, there, there were a lot of, of guns, high power weapons and, and so on. There's a lot of media attention on firearms crime. And, and last year, we know, for example, that re recorded levels of, of firearms crime, particularly in the um, in England and Wales, um, rose quite considerably. Although, again, we've we've seen something of a drop more recently uh, over, over the last year. Just as context, um, gun crime in the UK um, for, for 2020 was, was recorded as, as rising to more than 9,700 offences. But as I say, it, it, as we might expect with the, the current situation in the UK, that, that's fallen away a little bit now. But, but you're expertise and your field in many ways is gun crime and and you hold a doctorate you've been around the world studying gun crime how did you become an expert on guns oh, it's a great question and um to be honest with you if someone had asked the 15 year old version of me whether i'd be an associate professor and my field of expertise would be in firearms and forensic ballistics i'd have said 
no way, not a chance. Guns were definitely not on my radar. I didn't grow up in a farm or, um, you know, surrounded by the shooting fraternity. Um, and but I always had a passion to be a forensic scientist and uh, I had a drive to be a practitioner. And so I always had that focus, but I very much thought I was more interested in analytical chemistry and drugs analysis. Um, and it was only actually when I was doing my degree, uh, my undergraduate degree, that I realized that there was a whole field of forensic science I literally knew nothing about. And this was firearms and ballistics. And so um, during that, that module, I really, it, it was my, it's what I found as my forte. It was where I really began, began to get really interested and something that I could actually bring all of my interest in science and maths together because in firearms there is the chemistry element about how ammunition works there is the physics and the mechanics about how firearms work but then there's the biological content all around, you know, wounding and what happens not only to living or deceased individuals when they're shot, but also what about the material properties? What happens to the actual surfaces of walls or cars or other types of objects that might be shot? And so this was really where my passion for this particular part of forensic science began. And I was just really fortunate to be able to pursue a, um, a PhD in this particular field, but actually looking at the imaging of fired bullets and fired cartridge cases. And that has kind of led me to now considering and working with law enforcement agencies, um, and national and international uh, forensic laboratories, police departments, etc., to really not only consider the underpinning science behind my field, but also more importantly, how do we further increase the knowledge? How do we further gather information and evidence that can help us build cases, help us prosecute, help us maybe predict that gun crime may occur? And how do we actually prevent that violent crime or those, the use, the criminal use of firearms and its ammunition moving forwards into the future? Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because it, I mean straight away there's there's something of a mismatch I, I, I would suggest at times between what the public think of as as sort of firearms crime, where those media mediated images you know kind of bound about, and, and we see we see lots and lots of guns in in media, so it, it it's almost kind of imagined that you know the police are routinely encountering, you know, firearms. They're a blight on the urban city centre. They're everywhere to, to be found. But actually, we're, we're talking really about quite a small number of very extreme high-end cases, aren't we, that, where, where there's going to be a, a great deal of focus on investigation, where, it, where it's those headlines, for example, of, 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 of uh, you know, serious crime. But then... That's with the use of firearms. There's a much more general kind of current that sits underneath all of that with firearms. And, and those can be all sorts of different things, can't they? When we talk about firearms, you know, every, I, th I think lots of people think we're talking about handguns or machine guns. But that's not always the case, is it? No, definitely not. Um, and so when we consider firearms, you know, and or, or guns, we're considering a whole um, body of objects. 
that and, and the majority of them are used completely legally. And any law that is, is passed typically is focused on negatively influencing all of those people who legally hold, have done for years and will continue to have those objects legally. The problem absolutely and, and what we see in the media is very much around the most severe of those shooting incidents, typically where there's a fatality, there's a loss of life. Um, and this can also occur with wildlife. But again, that doesn't necessarily feature within the media. Lots of criminal damage may actually occur. Um, also, violence with the use of a firearm that doesn't involve actually shooting somebody. It could be used to elicit fear, cause threat, um, uh, elicit control over somebody. And I'm all of that is, is due to the power and the potential threat of what could be done when you're actually faced with that particular firearm or that object yeah and it runs a whole continuum that could on one hand be you know a high velocity high-end um scorpion machine pistol or assault rifle through to um a ball bearing repeater gun or an an air, an air weapon as well doesn't it so that there's a whole uh, you know, so when we say you're an expert on on firearms, yes, while you will have seen kind of, you know, the serious and sophisticated criminal firearms, you, you, and 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 I know you have. The the other thing is like like as you were saying, the distinctions don't always necessarily work, and and certainly if we talk about cases, for example, the cases where where notorious, um, particularly I think spree shootings, um, like Dunblane. Hungerford, Cumbria with with Derek Bird, um, uh, Hungerford, um, obviously Michael Ryan and and Dunblane Thomas Hamilton, um, going into the school where Andy Murray was a, a child tennis protege and and shooting fifteen, I, I believe, of his classmates and and uh, also the teacher. You know those those crimes committed with legally held weapons Absolutely. at the time, which has kind of created a system in the UK where we have some of the most restrictive firearms legislation that you will find anywhere in the world. But as you rightly say, that legislation then impacts on a whole array of different people. Because as you, as you started off by mentioning, you know, firearms do also have a, a, a legitimate function. If you're a farmer, for example, that, that needs to protect your your boundaries from deer or, or your stock from foxes or, you know, a, a firearm is going yeah, to be... Fox and birds, absolutely. Absolutely legally held. Again, it's a, it's a big field. And when we talk about it in terms of crime, you know, we often come at it straight away from those kind of extreme um, examples. But also, I think... It, in very much a way where we kind of think of guns as, as you say, the preserve of the kind of organised crime group in gritty social, you know, situations where it's about street drug dealing and Pablo the drug dog and it's handguns and and actually that's that, that's not a lot of that's not necessarily what you spend all of your time investigating or looking at. Yeah, definitely, and I mean, you know. One, on the one hand, there are those shootings. So the criminal use of firearms is really diverse. So that could be from um, a farmer having a shotgun license, using it legally, and for whatever reason, his license, his certificate has lapsed. 
So automatically that goes from being a legally held firearm to a legal possession. And interestingly, um, although number of the figures declined during lockdown, illegal possession of, of weapons more broadly, not just firearms, actually remained about the same throughout the whole of last year, um, as we're aware to date. And, you know, likewise, a legally held firearm, um, someone could burglar property with the intention to actually steal those firearms and the ammunition and then go on to use them in crime. So not only is the, the theft uh, against the law, um, but that literal you picking up an illegal firearm or il having ammunition that you shouldn't have automatically becomes a criminal offence. So whether you're doing it for legal or li illegal purposes. And then obviously then there's a further action around how you use that. You know, it could sit in your on your mantelpiece forever and never be further used in a criminal offence. But obviously, you know, if that firearm does end up in hands where that could be utilised for um, nefarious purposes uh, or bad, bad actions um, for whatever that illegal action, then unfortunately, yeah that is a, a potential source of that divergence from legal to illegal yeah absolutely and it's quite possible that there are people out there who are in possession of uh, illegal weapons for example or uh, uh, ammunition as well potentially who don't necessarily know that they are so it, again it's that kind yes. of it, it runs a whole um, gambit, uh, a, a, a continuum. So uh, whereby we often sort of go towards and think of the most extreme examples. There's, I mean, there's... You, you mentioned them um, like Hunger Flood and Blaine. Um, interestingly, you know, both of those cases resulted in major changes to the law in the UK. The Derek Bird or particularly the West Cumbria um, incident actually didn't involve any changes to law uh, directly. They, they definitely updated guidance, they made recommendations, but because they were all utilising firearms that were legal at the time, so with the West Cumbria, you know, he had a legally held rifle, he had a legally held shotgun, and therefore, you know, the, the groups of individuals that use those types of, of firearms would have been massively impacted, you know, if we we were to have banned all firearms, which is actually what they suggested that we do after Dunblane and what the public called for. But there are reasons why we, we can't easily do that. And then, the you know, another aspect of it is around, you know, how then does the, you know, ammunition itself. Um, so one of the latest changes that maybe you're not aware of is actually the fact that the antique firearm Legislative Act came into to law, came into effect this year. And this actually has um, removed uh, a number of what we call calibers, so some size of ammunition and therefore firearms, um, actually said that they aren't antiques. They're actually, because they've been used uh, illegally in crime, they've actually um, been taken off the antique list and if you are to um, use these types of, of firearms and their ammunition uh, in a criminal offence, um, and, and actually if you have these firearms uh, and the ammunition, they're actually now prohibited, it's against the law. And you know, I don't think that this particular change in legislation has actually been widely and publicly advertised. 
Um, and so just that in case anyone is listening, you know, in the year of 2021, um, there is a, a short time period where you can actually apply for a certificate to still have those those firearms as uh, curiosity weapons curiosity weapons, uh, for example, or, or whatever. But there are um, a number of, of um, these firearms and ammunition um, that have actually been moved to a prohibited category. Um, and if you don't surrender them or get a certificate, you are actually in illegal possession of that weapon now. And that has serious consequences potentially for people, doesn't it? Because, you know, when it comes to if you were to be preceded against through the courts, understandably so, firearms crime carries heavy sentences, particularly because of the association with the, the, the potential harms that can result from it. You know, you you, you can quite easily see people re receiving custodial sentences. And it's something that, again, that we don't necessarily um, consider consider as part of the wider range perhaps, of, of how we talk about firearms crime. We talk yeah. about it very often as, um, as I say, it's all illegally held guns which are being used by drug dealing gangs. And I'm sure that people, not only in those those dramas and so on, but they, they will see the sort of campaigns like um, the National Crime Agency, for example, have been very, very heavily um, involved in promoting the work that they do at and around firearms and firearms firearms crime necessarily in many ways um comes to be the kind of um the the highest kind of category that we know of i i, I know there's there's been a campaign run by the national crime agency recently kind of called illegal firearms know the gun know the law um and know the consequences you know that which has come with kind of video adverts and, and and so on um but again what you actually see with with that as well is that the seizure of um firearms and illegal firearms is is, is although in some ways alarmingly high um 522 um illegal firearms i think that the national crime agency seized in in 1920 i mean that's more than one a day yes but then at the same time if we think about it it's it's also reassuringly low in in some ways it does it does also suggest to us that you know we're not and and when you think about that number of firearms being the total and that's you know that will include stockpiles that that are captured at any one point as well we do live i, I think in in an incredibly safe country when it when it comes to firearms so i suspect that a, a large number of people involved in in policing um crime criminal justice in england and wales will will never really encounter a, a firearm that is absolutely the case and yeah when you when we consider how and what our uk gun crime looks like and and you know with the caveat that this is recorded crime yeah. you know as with any statistics that that come out from related to um police and and the illegal use of weapons and etc this is what we know about this yeah. isn't you know the actual truth of what happens um but yeah comparably with other countries you know the uk is incredibly low you know and yeah. um, comparable to a lot of countries in europe um although some european countries do have a higher higher uh, gun crime rate than than ourselves um and in part that is due to legislation but it's certainly not the, the what, what, what else what else accounts for a really low rate of, of gun crime rachel do you think 
I don't think that actually our, our firearm and um, our civilian firearm ownership was actually not necessarily that high before all of this legislation came into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the same way, the people who did have firearms before Hungerford, which was in 1987, for example, um, they, you know, if they're still alive, they probably still have firearms now. They're all just still legally held. Yeah. Um, whereas it's the criminal group who want to use these firearms and the ammunition for, you know, bad purposes or or for self-defense, which may or may not turn out to be, um, end up in in a a criminal criminal case, for example. Um, But, you know, they use, um, I'm really sorry, I've lost my train of thought. What was was the question, James? No, I I was just saying, why is it that we have have kind of low firearms? But you said, rightly, you know, ownership levels have have always been low um, in the UK. Compared to the USA. Yeah, compared a, a, to the USA, our, our civilian population of firearm ownership um, was was quite low. And yeah. um, also, you know, um, we did used to have um, quite a big um, shooting com- competition, shooting um, community that was obviously negatively impacted by yeah. the legislation that came in, and and you know, detrimentally so, particularly to our Olympic. Um, athletes, for example, um, who now can't even train, uh, for example, in the UK, they have to go uh, abroad to do that. Um, And so that is one of the reasons um, why they're quite low. Yes, absolutely. The legislation definitely played a part in that. Um, But also, you know, our population are generally quite um, accepting of, of law and leg- legislative changes. Um, and so, you know, if something does legislatively change, so if a law comes into effect, they are likely to hand over those firearms if they know about it. You know, they don't want to have illegal possession. Sometimes we can, you know, um, there are uh, compensation schemes that come into effect. So, for example, the um, the re- in 2019, there was um, uh, an, another uh, legislative change, uh, the Offensive Weapons Act in 2019, um, where it wasn't just around firearms. This was rapid firing rifles, for example. Um, it was also around knives like flick knives. You know, they became prohibited and therefore there was a surrender and a compensation scheme that was actually put into effect so that if so you'd have purchased them, them yeah. yeah, you weren't losing out by then surrendering them to. And so, you know, our population does tend to, um, you know, follow that legislative change as well. And, and that, that's interesting in a way, because it also tells us something about the, how those criminal groups get firearms, doesn't it? Because, you know, a, a, again, uh, the looking towards the National Crime Agency already straight away it kind of frames it around you know importation and, and criminal groups and, and and dodgy dealings and we're we're not suggesting that that doesn't happen at all, but it but it also does suggest that there is some bleed between those firearms that are legitimately owned by the population and those that are used for nefarious and criminal purposes and yeah. and that's certainly something that we've we we do know is the case in, in the UK, don't we? Uh, yeah, so, I mean. I mean, just, it, it, it bears the question, point. how do criminals get guns? How, how do criminals get guns, Rachel? Uh, really, a wide variety of different different um, routes. So, yes, absolutely. Some particularly organised crime groups will know that there is not many firearms that are produced um, at all in the UK. Um, so generally legally 
um, legal firearms that we our civilian population can hold. We tend to make those, so for example, shotguns. Um, yeah. Whereas anything that is um, illegal, so particularly things like um, pistols, revolvers, um, what they know that they can do is they actually import them. They bring them in from Europe, from uh, lots of other countries because they're an, we're an island, um, and they bring them in in a format that is legal. So it might be a blank firing gun, for example. So, it, or you might know these as starter pistols. Yeah. Um, so they basically yeah. make a loud noise, but don't shoot any projectile. They don't shoot a bullet, for example. Um, and then they, what they do is they do something called a conversion. So they basically change bits of the firearm so that they can put in uh, ammunition that can fire a projectile. Or we might have what we call something like a deactivated weapon. Um, so in this case, most of what actually from a forensic perspective, all of the bits in the firearm that they um, can actually cause the firearm to shoot ammunition, get machined away, they get taken apart, they get or, or removed. And they basically change those bits and they add those components back in. Um, so it's, it's like taking the shell of a car and putting an engine back into it so that it can run again in a way. Um, exactly. Absolutely. Um, in addition, you know, the farmers, they, as I mentioned earlier, they can steal firearms. Um, in other countries, luckily, um, I don't think it's happened here, that, to my knowledge, but definitely in other countries, James, you mentioned stockpiles earlier. So these are basically where um, governments or um, law enforcement or um, somebody, some organisation has gathered a, a lot of firearms together and they've basically created a pile. And sometimes these piles are very open, unsecure, and that is really rife opportunity for um, criminals to basically steal those weapons. But also you you might have corruption within police forces or within the military. Um, and uh, again, this can result in those firearms, but not just firearms. Like one of the key things, and I really want to emphasize this, is it's also the ammunition. So yes, the firearms are one part of it, but stockpiling of ammunition or um, production, so what we call craft production, so homemade, bespoke um, ammunition and firearms. This is another way that um, we can create um, weapons uh, and um an ammunition um, that then gets out into uh, the criminal uh, community. So it isn't just about sourcing um, weapons that are already designed to shoot people. It's also about utilising just general household objects um, or having an inquiring mind. And you're, a, you know, you're an engineer and, oh, I just wonder if I could 3D print this firearm or this this component part. And, no, that's, and that's an interesting uh, one. Yeah. And, and, and as you mentioned, 3D printing, because there, there's been some stories, for example, about um, 3D printing and, and, and firearms. Um, clearly, uh, you know, in some instances, it runs up to the, you know, can you print a firearm through 3D printing? And we know that it can be done, for example. And is it going to become more commonplace because it can be done? But as you rightly say, 
it's not just about the 3D printing of the firearm itself, is it? it it's the it, it, actually the harder thing for the criminal group to acquire in some ways because of the amount of restriction that we have on most weapons. The harder thing for them to acquire is the ammunition, and therefore that it, it's 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 actually the uh, the getting hold of and getting access to ammunition that becomes in some ways more of a challenge than the firearm itself. Yeah, absolutely. So with the antique firearms, for example, so these are things that were manufactured, for example, before 1939. And, you know, obviously the changes that I mentioned in the, the latest act. But so generally these were um, things that you might see in your Civil War films or, or things where you're basically loading everything in through the front of the firearm. So they're not cartridges um, or cartridges that aren't made any longer. Um, and so it, if you can't get hold of this this ammunition, you've got to make it yourself. And that can, is really time consuming. You need loads of experience and um, equipment to be able to do it. But once you can, once you know how to do it, and if you've got the tools, you absolutely can. But it's um, not I mean, we're not going to ask you to reveal anything from your background in chemistry here. But but essentially that that, that is in part where that comes in isn't it you know because the, the other thing is pe people can put themselves at real danger as well if they start to try and make ammunition and it isn't of a good quality because things that go bang can go bang on you as well and, and, and injure you so you can you can also find situations where the criminal use of firearms results in the injury of the criminal who's no. using the firearm yeah Absolutely. Um, I mean, even I mean, when you're talking about injuries, something as simple as the incorrect holding of a firearm results in an injury. So one of um, the great ones is uh, with something like a what we call a semi-automatic. So one pull of the trigger, um, it actions the firearm so that it what you normally see is a cartridge case being ejected from the firearm, for example. Um, if you hold your your thumb and your index finger in the wrong place, the, the automatic movement of that firearm is actually going to cut the webbing between your fingers. And that's a great source of DNA. It's a great source of, you know, hairs, um, etc. Some really brilliant forensic evidence, um, but also some notable damage, uh, which is quite characteristic of I'm I don't really know how to use this firearm, but I've used it. Yeah. Um, also, shotguns, for example, really powerful ammunition, a really big kick. There's a there's a, a stock on that firearm that is big because it is a powerful weapon. If you don't put it in your shoulder properly, you know, you could actually dislocate your shoulder as a result of that. And so this is actually sometimes where knowledge within hospitals, A&E, could really give us some really good information about firearm related injuries that actually aren't from individuals like victims being hit or being shot at. This could also be intelligence for law enforcement around actually the criminals themselves that may have actually utilised these firearms. OK, and they may have not have ended up in A&E, they may be at the GP or they normally just then don't actually see anybody uh, and, and don't want to highlight themselves as, as being a potential uh, but criminal it could, be, it could be marks or bruising on the body or, or yeah. you know, 
burn marks or, or injuries, for example, that are inexplicable, that, that could potentially all be sources of, of evidence, as you say. Yeah. And, and again, just even in saying that, you know, that, that doesn't accord with very often how we think about the kind of criminal use of firearms. We think of these sort of sophisticated offenders who are all, you know, they know what they're doing. But but in actuality, you know, and, and this is where, again, your your role is really interesting because you, you do the shooting of, of guns, don't you? So it's not just a, a kind of yeah yeah so it, it's it depends just, where i am <laughs> no I, I shouldn't tell that i've I, I revealed that one as almost as a kind of like racial wonders round shooting guns around <laughs> on trent which which uh, I, I can absolutely Definitely don't it's, there. it's not the case but again it, it, even in in doing that i mean i've i've fired weapons but but i suspect a lot of people haven't you know and, and when you were saying about the kick of a shotgun and so on you know it, yeah absolutely right it's it's also far far harder to hit the target than a lot of people recognize and you know i mean i mean one of the things that we see even where um well trained for example police marksmen uh, uh, you know under pressure um uh, often bullets go astray and 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 they miss the target and and we've seen that in the background to cases as well like um uh, the being from birmingham you know the new year's eve shooting of um, charlene ellis and letitia shakespeare you know they were they happened to be stood some way away from the intended target but the the person who pulled the trigger didn't account for the recoil of the weapon and it ended up hitting the two girls or or, um ricochet so it hits a surface and then hits somebody else or um the other one is celebratory fire so some cultures do this this you know as part of their their culture and you know new year's eve shoot into the air well gravity uh, that bullet, that projectile has to come back down and it has actually killed children. Um, yeah. It has absolutely um, injured people because of the fact they've not necessarily thought about the consequences of their actions. They didn't mean to do anything illegal, may have been a completely legal firearm. Just yeah. the wrong use of that firearm has resulted in maybe them going to jail for a very long time. I mean, it just illegal possession of um certain firearms could be a mandatory 10 years in jail just yeah. for having that object so you know if someone asks you to to hide something or store something you know that you could be absolutely the the person who is sent to jail for that illegal possession alone and we also see that kind of linkage around firearms and groups, don't we? Because there, there is a there is the tendency, for example, for because of the difficulty of accessing firearms and because they are quite rare, that if a group have got hold of an, a, a kind of act, an active and working firearm, that you know, again, against what is sometimes portrayed in the media, the last thing that they're going to do is is leave it at the scene once a crime has been committed, because mm-hmm. you know it has a it has a value, not just an evidential value for the police, but it, but it has a it has a value so that they they it's keep value. hold. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, a really really interesting point that you make there, James, because you know, and that comes in ebbs and flows. So when I did my Churchill Fellowship, for example, one of the I, I went to France, went to the US, and I went to South Africa. Um, and one of the things that was really interesting amongst a whole bunch of stuff that you know we could talk about for years, um, is that like the the commodity, the value of a firearm, very much can ebb and flow. 
within not only um, within a local environment, so within your community, but also on a regional or an international scale. So, for example, if the supply of those firearms or the ammunition is in really there's a high level of them, actually what you can find is that the criminals just dispose of them. They use them once, they get rid of them, they pass them on. Whereas actually, if it's quite hard to get hold of that ammunition or that firearm, then what they do is they do tend to hold on to it. And then they use it in repeat crimes. Maybe not the same person utilising that firearm, but it could be passed around potentially between or rented out. So there might be one person that has a collection of firearms that are then distributed or it might be that there's a strategy that some organization behind how that that firearm where the ammunition comes from who utilizes it etc and so it, one of those misconceptions can be is that you know if we don't collect the right evidence from firearms from ammunition actually we can't always indicate or we can't indicate who actually pulled the trigger. And so there's also a distinction between, you know, the types of charge that, that law enforcement can even um, sort of attribute to a firearm crime. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting one because, uh, again, uh, you know, even from my home city, you know, there, there are classic um, there are classic kind of examples, uh, again, that sort of show gun culture in the UK because there's what's known as gun number six, for example, yeah. which was great, um, a, a great sort of documentary film made about, which was a firearm that was passed around through the, the criminal. CZ-75, yeah. Yeah, CZ-75, um, that was used in, in the shooting, I think the first shooting of a postmaster and then gangland execution and diff the the gun kind of gets passed between different criminal groups which we suspect is also around kind of the it being sold or exchanged or hired or rented which again people perhaps might not necessarily expect with firearms but they can be held centrally by someone who will loan them out and the the fee that you pay depends for example on whether it's been fired or not because that impacts on its value so there's a lot that that can be known but also it can kind of muddy the water when it comes to investigation because Definitely. that it's been used in this context in this situation doesn't necessarily mean that the same person is then going to use that gun in another one and and it's not so and and, and again I, I without wanting to kind of go go back to uh, you know my, my favorite topic of uh, line of duty it seems but you sort of in jed mercurio's line of duty you know it's the organized crime group that are kind of converting the weapons that are then going to be used by the organized crime group well actually it, it's a bit nonsense you know a stolen sawn off shotgun for example could be passed around a different criminal group then outside and then back in and and so uh, the questions that you might be answering for the police or the authorities are is this the same weapon has it been used by the same person because potentially there are ways that you can give some indication into whether it's the same person using it in or different people using it in different contexts as well is there yeah so um you know fingerprint and dna evidence can be important as um but in terms of um, a forensic firearm examiner, you know, some of the things that what they will be looking at is linking the, the gun itself to the fired ammunition, the mm. parts that, that are recovered either from the victim, from the crime scene, um, you know, uh, or on the suspect or, or on an individual. And uh, they will 
potentially be involved in estimating um, how far the shooting may have been or um, shooting instant reconstruction. So they might have bullet holes um, or projectile impact damage um, in trees, uh, walls, doors, um, windows, uh, trying to then determine where that shot could have been fired from and then trying to then find associated uh, fired evidence. So fired bullets, fired cartridge cases, which are not the same things, by the way. Terminology in the media is appalling. Um, <laughs> uh, Can you explain where... the differences, Rachel? Just so that, because our listeners would probably find that interesting. You know, what's the, what, what is the difference? Okay, great question. So um, most ammunition that we would, would think of being used um, in illegal um, shooting activity, um, modern modern ammunition is is basically a cartridge so um some people call this a round of ammunition that's fine but a cartridge of ammunition and in that is a projectile or it could be multiple projectiles and a cartridge case so primarily there are the two fired components that we would use to link shooting incidents or or firearm discharges together um so the cartridge case may stay in the firearm. So most shotguns, for example, they they don't automatically eject cartridge cases. Even a pump, what you know, pump action shotgun, you know, that classic ka-ching, ching you know, noise that we hear in, in films, etc. Um, that's manually operated. And so they may not eject the cartridge case at the scene. If it stays in that firearm, and most firearms don't get found at the crime scene that's gonna have gone somewhere else. Really important forensic evidence and information about the ammunition has gone. The projectile, um, this could be a single object. Most people just call these bullets, um, but a bullet is designed for certain types of firearms. So pistols, revolvers, rifles, for example, but not shotgun. So mm. generally shotguns shoot lots of pellets or at least a few different uh, spherical balls in one round of ammunition, one cartridge. Um, and so they're called shot. Some people do call them pellets. But, you know, and if you're talking about air rifles or air pistols, well, they're not bullets at all. They yeah. are pellets. Um, if you're talking about airsoft weapons, again, you know, so the projectile has certain terms depending on the mm. the ammunition or the type of firearm that's being used absolutely and as you say you know um it leads to these stories for example where you, you know you will read a, a story about someone brandishing a, a, a firearm but that firearm could uh, you know it could be a, an, an air pistol or a, a ball bearing repeater or a bb gun yeah. at the same time it could actually be as you say a revolver with a, a, a cartridge you know that and much more so so again it's it, it's that kind of that can cloud things in terms of potentially what what we're looking at and and of course all can do harm so potentially all can be used yeah. in criminal cases as well so yeah. there's i mean i i certainly do know of um you know instances where for example um ball bearing repeater guns have been used in you know in criminal shootings for example yeah, but that was, 
Uh, that would be repeat, reported as a firearms crime and a man was shot and and so on. But clearly, you know, the 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 damage that that's done to the individual could be very serious. But but it, you know, we're also not necessarily talking about you know a, a weapon as people would necessarily always think about. Yeah, I mean, particularly with some of the low-powered um, weapons, you know, people don't think of them in with they don't give those weapons the same respect that they would you know in terms of health and safety i don't mean respect as in you know my status or my power you know they don't give them the level of respect that they should do and absolutely there have been fatalities of children fatalities of adults um teenagers playing around with with air rifles and air pistols in particular, um, even ones that are completely legally owned, you don't need a license to hold them um, and, you know, and, and have ended up, you know, shooting their best friends or yeah. killing a child because of their, their lack of awareness around the potential lethality and, and harm that they can do. I well, mean, just very as, as an example, yeah. a, 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 a pistol, a, a night, what, people might say is a nine millimeter pistol that bullet can travel about a mile and if it is un like if there is no target or no object that stops its path and people may think that 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 distance may only apply to high caliber rifles or something like that it doesn't quite low powered firearms you know not as low power obviously as an air weapon but they can go a very long way if they're shot at the right angle and, you know, in the right um, environment or, or landscape. Well, on, on that very theme, I was watching um, uh, I was watching something the other day where footballers were being interviewed uh, about memories of, of other footballers. And it involved the telling of a story involving Gaza, Paul Gascoigne and his friend, Jimmy Five Bellies at England training, where Gaza uh, attended with his new rifle, his air rifle, and proceeded to shoot his mate, Jimmy Five Bellies, in, in the backside, you know, which was a source of huge amusement and, and fun for the, the football ballers that were, were were watching it and this was being retold on the bbc and you know you kind of think hmm, yes but at the same time um, <laughs> the messages that are sent out when also at the same time and and as you say they, they can um they can be while they can be um a, a real kind of anxiety for example about firearms that that aren't routinely or regularly encountered you know the glock nine millimeter is not going to be held by very many criminals in in serious or even in serious organized crime groups in the united kingdom air weapons held by young men for example are quite apparent and do result in in injuries and then will be recorded as firearms offenses Lots of criminal damage occurs, um, you know, through the use of air weapons. And actually, when you look at the statistics around England and Wales, for example, um, level of firearm crime, because air weapons are classified as a firearm, if the projectile, the pellet, um, has more than a, you know, a joule of energy. And so, um, you know, most air weapons are therefore classified as a firearm. Um, by our law, not necessarily in, in other countries' law, but they are they are in the UK, um, and so you know as a result, most of um, the shootings or the the illegal actions that we know about 
a lot of that those statistics come from the use of um, air weapons yeah. and so the actual use of non-air weapons so you, you more um, rifles pistols shotgun etc they're actually a, a quite a small proportion um and and that number has drastically dropped from the early and mid 2000s where the numbers were significantly higher um, in terms of, of what we see. But I mean, if, if you think about the types of crime that are committed that we know about um, with all with them, um, uh, non air weapons uh, and air weapons combined, you know, your uh, violence against the person is is topmost ranking um, predominantly with the more um, energetic types of firearms, let's say. Um, whereas if you look at criminal damage, you know, most of that proportion is is conducted by um, less uh, lower powered weapons, such as your BB guns, your, your air rifles, etc. Um, and so, you know, different types of criminal offence also have a different profile of what type of firearms typically get used you know in the UK and imitation weapons for example you know these are replica guns so could be BB guns they could be um, uh, blank firing pistols um, you know they those imitation firearms because they're used as threat you know people obtain these weapons you know to either demonstrate power visibly or to uh, entice um, an illicit threat and fear and control, they may not actually be able to do any any harm or any damage, but they have them uh, as, a, as a, a visible feature so that because it is so hard to differentiate between a live firearm that, you, I, I mean live as in it could fire uh, a projectile and, and cause some hurt versus, you know, uh, an object basically and when it comes to the policing of it for 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 police and and particularly um firearms officers the ability to differentiate um is 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 going to be and uh, because we've as you've just said you really can't if someone's pointing a, a weapon at you they're pointing a weapon at you you know that there, there is going to be no um pause for thought about whether or not that's a, an imitation firearm an air weapon or so so when police are uh, but but it does mean that for example police are, when they can be called to or armed police can be called to all sorts of firearms crime for example deploying so uh, you know it, it could be someone with an air weapon firing shots on the canal side yeah. but you you might well end up with uh, you know red laser dots on you and and armed firearms officers telling you to get down on the floor yeah because you shouldn't you know it is against the law to have a firearm in a public place yeah. Um, and also, you know, members of the community in the UK, you know, they will report any type of potential firearm related offence, you know, because of, you know, and particularly if in, they're in, you know, rural environments or areas maybe where they don't expect there to be firearm related crime. And this is, you know, this is this is not good image, for, you know, for us to see. But mm. also, likewise, you know, shooting a, a domestic animal and injuring it criminal offence, shooting yeah. a swan, protected species, criminal offence, even whatever firearm or object you're using to cause that injury. Um, you know, likewise, we've we've had cases where um, you've seen, you know, uh, a school group 
doing some filming for a homework project or some coursework and they've taken out an imitation firearm in the middle of the street and a neighbor has been alarmed because literally you can't tell and uh, you know you literally have to hold them the real one uh, i say real as in the one that's capable of actually shooting somebody versus the one that's not capable of shooting someone <laughs> And, you know, you need sometimes experts to be able to differentiate them. And, and of course, if and of course in, deactivated, you yeah. can't see that from in the outside of the gun. And, I, and of course, now as well, we have the world of social media, for example, where people might think it very cool to pose on yeah. their social media, holding or clutching an imitation weapon. But for the authorities, they're yeah. not going to be able to tell the difference and... And, and and similarly we've seen it with we've even seen it with toys haven't we where whereby toy weapons and i know sometimes it, it can get into the kind of ridiculous case where people are sort of saying well this is a you know the child had a nerf gun but but the thing is you know if, if you're the call handler the dispatcher for the police who's got the send officers the minute that it's reported to you as a firearms crime the the response in the uk which again people off. don't and as a final thing, of course, and again, it's it's one that um, I think people don't necessarily get. But but firearms can be can discharge all sorts of projectiles. So um, incapacitant sprays and, and tasers, for example, as used by the police, require firearms training, and those are regarded as as firearms as well. So a kind of further level of, of complexity that people don't again don't necessarily aren't necessarily aware of yeah absolutely. Um, it, it often... the type of evidence you know that is so important to to police to law enforcement to you know your community officers any information that you have about things that are happening in your community, you know, you don't have to ring 999 or, or call the police and report it to them necessarily. Even if it's a community leader who you can tell information to about what's happening in your community is so very important to us understanding and being able to investigate and 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 provide you know justice to society and also to try and prevent you know criminal actions within your community you know we can only go by the information that comes to us and the crimes that get reported and we know so much of it doesn't for lots of justifiable reasons um, but, you know, if we don't gather the evidence, we can't help with the intelligence gathering and we, we can't help prosecute. And often what we find is that those really serious bloodshed incidents could have actually been, you know, the person or the, the weapon. We could have found out who they are or link them to a less severe crime so for example if you do like james like you just mentioned james you know you someone's shooting an air rifle you know we can get forensic evidence from air rifle pellets you know as long as they're packaged appropriately and they they don't get damaged um you know we can link shootings together even if those shootings weren't revolving in an injury you know or criminal damage if we can recover that then we can we can link them potentially together um and you know likewise if we can you know through what we have in the uk is the national ballistics intelligence service so navis 
yes, it was, uh, you know, you might have seen it on line of duty. James, obviously, you mentioned the National Crime Agency, who, who deal very much more with that, the the transnational element, the UK and other countries, um, as do NABIS. Um, but NABIS's primary role is about gathering intelligence and forensic evidence to do with shootings in in the, the UK. So on a national scale and then supporting, you know, international investigations as well um, as the, the National Crime Agency. Um, and so you know, by all police forces working, you know, together, you know, we've got regional organised crime units or ROCUs. Um, we have lots of um, strategies and um, task forces in place in, in law enforcement, in um, border force. Um, so trying to police and, and, and identify weapons and ammunition coming into the UK, going out of the UK and moving around the country as well. You know, any information that you have is so vital to us being able to navigate through the complexity of information. And one of the things that I'd, I'd particularly say is whilst we know that there are these higher gun crime areas, you know, your, your urban areas, you know, your your London, you know, in London, the West Midlands, Merseyside, even West Yorkshire is featuring very highly in terms of our gun crime. Um, you know, the the regions that actually are between those areas, you know, Staffordshire, for example, it is a prime traffic uh, commuter route. I don't want to necessarily say trafficking, but if you say trafficking is the movement of firearms and ammunition illegally, um, then it is a prime commuter route. Yes, Staffordshire has very, very low gun crime levels. However, there might be lots of gun crime happening in Staffordshire that just we're not aware of. And well, that is maybe a source for I mean, the, well, the, firearms. Absolutely. And, and of course, the, the thing about places like Staffordshire, and this is, again, is the, the breaks down some of the kind of urban, rural breakdown, is that it, we do know it's going to be those rural areas where there's high legal ownership. Of, of firearms and so th there's a kind of relevance there as well for um the the kind of um enhancing the knowledge of of safety when it comes to abidance with the legislation on the storage of, of firearms and ensuring that they're, they're properly kept and so on because you know, we, as we said, there is that kind of um, movement of, of, you know, legitimately held weapons sometimes into criminals' hands, and you don't want that because the the, the very high harm that can result from yeah. the availability of illegal firearms. And it definitely doesn't have to just be organised criminals. You know, criminals know that where the sources of legally held firearms are, and they absolutely do target those areas, and they do go out and steal from those areas, and um, so that they can establish a, a source um, and that's why our firearm discharges in the UK are really quite high for shotguns um, yeah. because you know they are legally held and they are available uh, and therefore it is absolutely a, an easier source of um, identifying and, and getting those commodities that they so rightly or, or they so want yeah. to, to have. So Keeping keeping um, keeping firearms, including the legitimate ones, you know, well away um, and and in the proper gun cabinets as as they should be, and so on, is is 
that is a, a really important crime prevention in a way as well you know um yeah, so it, it, it's yeah it, it it's a fascinating area, which, like I say, when you kind of begin at the start, you know, you, the, there is very much this sort of like, it's all going to be young lads running around with, you know, with with pistols shooting at each other, supplied by these shadowy groups. And, and that's not to suggest that those things in part don't happen, but the picture is much, much more complex than initially kind of first appears around users yeah. and, and, and... I mean, the, the Paul Edmonds case, so Operation Golden, for example you know this was a guy in his 60s who you know had the the you know background uh was able to manufacture what they did call at the time obsolete caliber ammunition uh who was able to um you know acquire he had a, a registered firearm dealer he was a registered firearm dealer um he had um antique weapons um, and he made ammunition particularly for those those firearms and um, to get around you know the legislation and the law because antique weapons weren't defined then um, and he um, the, the guns and the, the ammunition were associated with a hundred different um, crimes within the UK um, and, and that's just one example you know of um, a conspiracy basically to transfer prohibited firearms and ammunition in this country you know and there are other cases as well um that you can you can see but you know he falsified paperwork you know he falsely signed customs information stating that that firearms were antiques when they weren't you know it's so it, there's so many parts and people involved with these trafficking chains and the, the supply and the demand side of 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 not only gun crime but but so much so many different types of crime that yeah the the police have to try and un, unpick and and find out you know all of these different parts and strands and and use that all of that information to try to build a case uh, and investigate you know who has you know created who has imported who has supplied where's the demand coming from who might have bought these um who's likely to use them where are they likely to be used um I mean, there's, there's another uh, firearm, Link Series 4. Um, and, you know, the first shooting of, of that, I think, was in Glasgow. And then it moved down to the Midlands, you know. And mm -hmm. I think a similar uh, incident occurred with um, gun number six. And so most of the the criminal use that we know of has, a, a locate, has taken place in quite a small sort of circumference um, and a small geographic area, but there is that potential for the actual firearm and or the ammunition to have come from and been used in crime, you know, either in Europe or uh, in the UK or the US, you know, anywhere potentially, you know, just through transferring it through the post. Or well, and this is this is perhaps the, 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 the a 
place where we can end as well because it's an interesting one because we talked about 3d weapons but the one um, and print the printing of weapons which is getting a lot of media attention but the 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 thing that interests me in a way is is your thoughts exactly on that the way in which weapons might move in a in a more networked world around particularly around legitimate systems of, of transportation of cargo because if we've seen one thing um that's certainly risen in in england and wales during covid it it's, we're buying more and more products online and there's a much bigger industry around shipping goods you know locally and globally and 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 that in and of itself does raise questions even though we are an island about and and, and i say that this at exactly the same time as well we ought to also remember that um the government is on the back of um, exiting the the european union for example is talking about the um the building of free ports for example um now that that does those two things come together for for me it, it, interestingly because they do create what could be quite conducive conditions to transporting of, of weapons where people don't necessarily need to be networked in in quite that connected way and and actually are, are we looking at the right things when we express our concern about printed and 3d printed weapons or actually is the threat much more that, that we're missing the more obvious ones which are all how has always been both our our legitimately owned weapons in in people's homes but then the secondary part the 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 shipment of 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 weapons using legitimate systems and i'd be interested to know your thoughts rachel where where does the real threat come from do you the the bigger threat come from do you think if if you ask me to identify one i'm not sure i could because I think the sources are, are so di- diverse. That are you concerned it, about printed guns particularly? I would say right now, no. But I know that there is um, increasing occurrence of 3D printed weapons. Now, it, but the, the media doesn't necessarily um, articulate what level of, of 3D printing has gone on. Mm. And so, you know, if we're talking about a three, a complete 3D plastic firearm, mm. yes, there is the potential. Yes, you can. Yes, you can shoot one, if not a, a couple of um, rounds of ammunition from these. And they, you know, are um, and they can be quite well made. But that's not necessarily easy to do. It isn't as simple as downloading some 3D CAD drawing and telling a printer to go print it. You know, you do have to actually understand the the chemistry behind how 3D printing works. Which types of um, polymer do you actually add into the machine? Mm. What kind of strength and what weaknesses is it going to have and, and, it's know, expensive. and if you use metal yeah at the moment it is still quite expensive and yeah. metal 3d printing may have a, a maybe more uh, of a concern in the future but again even more expensive you yeah. know because of the nature of the materials and the technology um but then but 3d printing isn't just about a whole firearm it can be a yeah. tiny little part yeah. And you know they've 3D printed parts. Or just, been used or just in, the car. Yeah, in, or in just lots the cartridge, the ammunition. Pardon? 
or just or just the the, the cartridge or the ammunition in some ways yeah so i mean i would probably say less likely for ammunition components because um i mean in um most modern um cartridges of ammunition you, you're talking about 2000 degrees celsius of, of yeah. temperature when yeah. a round of ammunition ignites you know these are not cold things when you when you fire them they cool down pretty rapidly but if but, you pick a fired cartridge case up like immediately after discharge you're going to burn potentially yeah. fingers you know not three you know like not third degree burns but you know you're going to feel it they, they're really really quite hot um particularly if you're using any form of you know automatic fire you know the more cartridges you um you discharge the hotter that weapon's gonna get you know if you make something called a slam gun you know basically two bits of pipe with a welded firing pin in it you know that piece of metal that you're holding is gonna get hot mm. you know and and it's it's those kind of and, and actually potentially slam slam guns are uh, in the uk um potentially more of a threat to us at the moment than 3d plastic firearms um but you know the media portrays 3d plastic firearms as things that are invisible no they're still made of material the x-ray can still see them they're just not as obvious as something that's metallic because they don't absorb as much of the x-ray you know um when they're being imaged but you can see it shaped like a gun Mm. you know there's no there's no just you know even things um that are packaged inside something else you know you can still see there's a difference in the density of the material yeah. you know so you they, can if you know what you're looking for see it yeah they, they don't make guns to look uh, look like cups and, and saucers really do they there's uh, you know it's it's fairly standardized um but but no it's it, it's an it is an interesting one because i do think it, it it's interesting particularly given the kind of um, the 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 networks and 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 particularly um you know the the there is concern there's clear concern as well in the in the uk about the the potential not only for um for guns to fall into the hands of of criminals but the the reason that the national crime agency are, are very much involved I, I would suggest is it's that interplay between um those who are ideologically rather than financially motivated that that, that they're also concerned about um and uh, it, it it's it's not just uh, it, it's not just the criminals that they yeah, that that they're anxious about but but certainly i think well on one hand you know the the last year's given us kind of falling levels of, of firearms crime certainly not a time for complacency it would uh, it, and, and as shown you know with the the statistics looking at all loads of different types of offenses over the lockdown period after that period of, of drop they basically came back to normal again straight yeah. off lockdown and you know firearms are considered as a national strategic priority and therefore you know the greater the fire the greater the public awareness around you know firearm related crime uh firearm related evidence the, the more that even general frontline police officers are aware of that evidence of that um the sources of information of um you know any any um aspect of firearm and weapon related crime you know the more capable they're going to be at their investigations at detecting that crime has even occurred at investigating it and ultimately prosecuting it in the long run 
Well, I, I mean, what I, I couldn't really do a better summing up than that, but just to say, Dr. Rachel. Bolton King, I think um, in everything that you've said, anyone listening is going to come away far more educated about um, firearms and, and the realities of, of guns. I, I certainly have, have learned things that I didn't know. And uh, and for that, a, a huge thanks for joining us. And uh, and if people are interested in, and want um, to learn more, obviously, Staffordshire University, we run all manner of um, different courses in the Faculty of Law, Policing and Forensics, from Forensic Science, where you can learn from Rachel, um, uh, through to to criminology and of course um, policing related courses but also just to suggest that um, you might want to look out Rachel on uh, on Twitter because she is one of the kind of active and in- engaged academics for from staffs who uh, who does talk about guns and, and, and crime um, and I'm sure she'd like to and, and happily engage if people had questions or wanted to know more. Absolutely. It's a it's a fantastic topic, and it, it's one that um, and uh, as we say, hopefully, um, remain firearms crime uh, in all its guises re- remains rare, and uh, and and police officers don't encounter it. But should they do so, I think you've uh, yeah, you've given them and and anyone else who's listening um, lots to think about and consider. So, uh, Rachel Bolton King, thank you ever so much um if you're interested in this podcast you can find out more about um staffordshire university and law policing forensics um on our podcasts which now cover a a whole array of different topics from series one focusing more generally on crime to now series two where we're looking at policing you can find out more about studying at staffordshire university at staffs.ac.uk and all it remains for me to do um is to thank once again Dr Rachel Bolton King um that was interesting engaging useful and brilliant um so Rachel thank you very much thanks for having me it's been great fun cheers happy to Um, interact with anyone who has uh, questions or would like to know more so any anyone and anyone writing scripts as well, if you want to know the reality of guns rather than the myths, given that we've we've criticised the media a lot, Rachel Rachel is to be engaged. Um, what's what's the Twitter hashtag, Rachel? At Dr Rachel BK. At Dr Rachel BK. So there there, there you go. Um, track her down if if you're interested. Um, Rachel, thank you ever so much, and uh, I hope you found this interesting and and do tune in for more policing on crime types.